Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for, and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I, of course, cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners, and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions, because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Thanks for listening. Happy weekend, everybody. I am, for the moment, flying solo, as Tim just pointed out to me, which means you might be chiming in here and there, Tim, until I have my guests. Oh, that's fine. Okay, sure. Um, No, my husband, um, Kirk, and my business partner, he's going to join in a, hopefully momentarily, he um, was zooming in from home trying to get our daughter out the door to hawk uh, to her early oh, hockey game. Okay. So yeah. um, we're dividing and conquering this morning. And I said, I can fly solo for a, at least a short period of yeah. time. So that's the plan for the morning. Um, so better late than never for this morning's topic. Um, every year, well, for the last several years, I think every year I've done a thanks and giving show. Um, around, of course, the Thanksgiving holiday. And we're a little bit late doing it this year, but I thought better late than never. I do like this topic. Um, and, you know, just talking about, so some of the things I wanted to talk about this morning, you know, are involve gift, gifting of assets. Um, you know, I guess, you know, to get a little bit warm and fuzzy, being thankful for things in your life, but thankful for family and um, for for some people, hopefully maybe, you know, thankful for financial security. Um, and um, I wanted to just talk a little bit through the process of giving assets away for those people that feel like they're fortunate enough to do so and can afford to do so. Um, so a lot of the topics for this morning are focusing on parents, you know, gifting or at least the idea of gifting assets during their lifetime um, to children. Could be their adult children, could be to grandchildren in the form of custodial accounts. Um, We could get into a little bit, you know, gifting to charity and things like that. But just wanted to do that thanks and giving show because I think it's a nice, I think it's a nice topic. And it's, you know, that time of year where people are generally or people, you know, sometimes are generous with their money and with gifting. And, and so it just, I think it ties in nicely with the holiday season. So uh, 781-837-4900, if you want to join me on the air, I am flying solo. So happy to <laughs> entertain callers this morning. Um, hopefully not flying solo for too long. Okay, so um, so for this morning, thanks and giving. Really wanted to focus this year's show on talking about when is the right time to gift. And I think this is a hard, um, I guess there's no perfect time, but I think there, this is a hard thing for 
some people to wrap their heads around in terms of getting to the point where they feel comfortable that they can afford to start giving away their assets. And, and there um, are, and some people might never get to that point and some people might not want to get to that point. So certainly this is a personal choice. Um, but there are several different reasons that people might want to start gifting their assets during their lifetime. Um, and the biggest um, well, maybe not the biggest, but but one of the components of the conversation is, you know, for those people that are fortunate enough to be in a very comfortable financial situation um, later in life where they're, you know, confident that they um, won't outlive their assets, that they have accumulated and saved enough that they can support them, support themselves for their lifetime, um, th- then they might, you know, if they get to that point, then they might start thinking about, well, my kids, if they have kids, my kids are going to inherit this someday anyway. So maybe it's better for me to uh, gift to them while they're living so that I can watch them enjoy the money or watch their, uh, help them relieve stresses in their lives, et cetera, financial stresses. Um, because if the kids, you know, if they're kind of at the point where they're like, you know, the kids are going to inherit it anyway, maybe I can watch them enjoy the money and gift during my lifetime. So um, these are conversations that I have fairly regularly with my client base, you know, for, for those that are, that it is a, an appropriate discussion for, again, generally speaking, later in life, already into their retirement years, um, you know, and, and people that just feel very comfortable that, um, they're in a position to start gifting. But again, what I wanted to focus on this morning was how do you know when it's the right time to gift? Um, and again, that's a personal part, part of that, of course, is a personal decision. It might never be the, ni- the right time to gift. M- maybe some people don't want to or feel comfortable doing that. But I'm approaching that, of course, from the financial perspective this morning in terms of financially speaking, when can you feel comfortable that um, you can afford to start gifting and not risk your own financial well-being in your lifetime? Um, so I guess, you know, how how do you know you're in a position, you know, kind of where do we start? Of course, it's different for everybody. You know, the, the old uh, it depends certainly applies here. But wanted to talk through some different, um, some things that people can think about while they're trying to determine if it's, if it's the right time. So just generally speaking, um, age is a huge factor, of course. Um, stage in retirement is a huge factor. Um, I wanted to go through some sort of general guidelines regarding comfortable rates of withdrawal from the portfolio. And I think that's a good place to start in terms of people determining um, if they're in a good financial position to start gifting. So for this for this conversation, I'm really going to be focusing on people, I guess, like I'm going to say 60 plus, um, age 60 plus, meaning that's generally a stage in your life where you're either retired or you're thinking about retiring. Um, you've you accumulated all or most of the assets that you'll accumulate in your lifetime, other than, of course, potential future um, earnings on the portfolio. Um, and so that's a point in time where you can really start doing the calculations and really start thinking about, um, it, am I able, do I have enough? Do I have, really the conversation for today is not just do I have enough to retire and live out my life uh, financially comfortably, but do I have more than enough, right? Am I in a position where I have uh, accumulated sufficient assets where I'll be okay, but I can also start giving them away and not risk my financial security? So really focusing on people 60s, 70s, 80s plus. The conversation, of course, gets easier the older someone is because time horizon is shorter and and things are more predictable. Uh, Planning is easier over a shorter time horizon, uh, financial planning. So the conversation is a little bit more difficult when people are in their 60s. Um, But, and of course, you know, and gets easier when people are in their 80s, right? Because life expectancy is shorter, don't need to, you know, again, planning is just easier. There's more, there are less variables that can um, alter a financial plan if we're talking about a shorter period of time. So let's talk about 
Um, and by let's, I mean me, because I'm still flying solo this morning. Not sure where my husband is. I guess he's still getting hockey gear on. Um, but I wanted to talk about um, rate of withdrawal from the portfolio. Again, I think that's kind of an easy place to start. Um, and um, we'll get into more detail after that. But rate of withdrawal from the portfolio is just like, think about people that are um, retired and are taking money out of their portfolio, whether they are required to by tax law, if we're talking about required distributions over age 72, um, or and or whether they are drawing out of the portfolio because they need income to supplement their other sources of income um, and to pay their expenses and live their life in retirement. So um, a rate of withdrawal from the portfolio is just the, the simple calculation. How much are you taking every year? Uh, gross before taxes. So if you're taking from a retirement account, we're looking at the gross number before there's tax withholding. So how much did you take over the, for example, over the course of 2021, how much did you draw out of your portfolio? And calculating a current withdrawal rate would be taking that amount and dividing it into the size of the portfolio. Um, so to do that, I would ignore, um, certainly ignore equity in a primary residence Maybe we could have a talk a little bit more about if we're going to factor in uh, if there's any second residences or inv certainly investment you know investment properties and things like that. But for now, for now, ignoring real estate, what's the amount that you draw annually, gross before taxes, divided into the current value of your financial assets, your your investment portfolio? Ignore emergency cash, please, from this calculation. Um, and that's your rate of withdrawal. So just really easy math if you're taking. Um, $30,000 a year gross before taxes from a portfolio that's current value $1 million, then you're taking 3% per year from your portfolio. That's your current rate of draw. The rate of draw changes every day, you know, generally speaking, uh, small amounts every, every trading day as investments fluctuate. Um, with markets, we've had certainly some fluctuation the last um, week or two here. And um, so that's your rate of withdrawal. So there's this old, we've talked about this, you know, dozens if not hundreds of times on the show, but there is this old uh, rule, uh, philosophy, if you will, in the, in the world of um, financial planning and retirement planning, and it's called the 4% rule. And so, um, and this was... Um, this this what this came to be I want to say in the 80s it was either the 80s or the 90s I think um, and I forget the name of the I think it was a man I forget the name of the gentleman who came up with this um, the four percent rule but he did a whole bunch of research and basically um, came to the conclusion that if uh, someone retiring at a normal retirement age let's call it mid 60s and living to a normal life expectancy so something in the uh, mid 80s range so if they're living something like so if we're planning over a 20 uh, a normal retirement uh, time horizon 20 to 25 years um, then his conclusion was that if your starting rate of draw from the portfolio um, was about 4%, then that's a comfortable rate of draw from the portfolio, meaning you likely wouldn't um, run out of assets before your life was over. And so, and, and, and part of this, um, uh, uh, part of the 4% rule is that knowing over time that the, the amount you'll draw from the portfolio likely will increase because cost of living increases over time, need from the portfolio would increase. So he had factored in um, likely increases in that rate of draw over time. So as people get older, uh, it's financially comfortable and okay for the rate of draw from the portfolio to increase because life expectancy is shorter. Assets don't need to last as long as you get older. Um, so the 4% rule, um, uh, there, there's been, um, I don't know, some, I guess in the last few years, there's been some, um, I don't know, people trying, uh, what's, the, what's the word I'm looking for? It, there's been some discussion about whether or not that still holds true. Um, and I think it does, personally. I think that the 4% rule is still a good rule of thumb. It's not perfect for everyone, but I think when for, for purposes of today's conversation, when we're speaking in generalities, um, I think that in general, uh, if someone's rate of draw in their 60s, for example, somewhere at a normal retirement age in their 60s, 
Um, I think if their rate of draw is something in that range, if not less, then that's a comfortable starting point. Of course, what you know, there are variables that may change that anticipated rate of draw in their future, and those things all need to be factored in. But um, again, speaking in generalities, I do think the 4% rule still holds true and as a good gauge for people to kind of figure out, am I, you know, what, what's my position here? Am I, on, am I on a good track? Am I on track to draw my portfolio down too quickly? Am I um, drawing out at such a low rate that I could afford to draw more and not much worry? Um, so I think it still serves that purpose for people gauging where they are. So comfortable rates of draw, generally speaking. Again, everyone's situation is different. And again, there are lots of variables that um, can can change someone's financial future and financial plan. And we'll talk about some of those today. Um, but just speaking in generalities, a comfortable rate of draw from the portfolio, like in your 60s, if you're retired, if you're retired, I should say, let me, let me caveat that in a moment. But Um, 4%, generally speaking, considered a comfortable rate of draw if you're somewhere in your 60s. I'm going to caveat that by saying if you're in your 60s and still working and drawing 4% of the value of your portfolio, then that's potentially not a comfortable rate of draw because that that variable that is your, your income from work if that will go away, assuming that goes away at some point, and then all of a sudden your rate of draw could be significantly higher, higher by more than just regular cost of living adjustments, then that would not be comfortable. So that's why I'm really focusing on, yeah, 4% generally speaking, comfortable rate of draw in your 60s if you're retired. Um, if you have, you know, if half of your income is still from un, uh, from earned income and you're taking 4% out of the portfolio, that that's probably not a good position to be in. Depends on the numbers. Um, it looks like I have a guest. Good morning. Can you hear me? Oh, I can't, I can't hear you. Oh, Tim might need to turn you on. Oh, he didn't want to turn you on. Now, try now. Kirk, now. Kirk, are you there? Okay, yeah, I can hear you. All right, good morning. Uh, my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed, I did tell them you would be here at some point, but Tim and I did pretty well for however many minutes that was. That was pretty We good. always do. We always do, yeah. Um, so I was just getting into, um, you know, I sort of set the stage for the conversation today and saying that I really wanted to focus today's show on um, trying to figure out, trying to help people figure out when is the right time to start gifting and help them... Um, talking through some of the components of that, uh, making that determination, like when can they feel comfortable that they can afford to start gifting if they want to, Um, you know, which can be a really hard thing for people. You know, people spend their, you know, entire lives building their portfolio. And and I think some people just feel comforted comforted by seeing large numbers, right, on their, in their statements and on their performance reports and um, can be uh, hard for people to start feeling comfortable spending it down. Um, so anyway, I was just talking about one of the ways that people can gauge um, longevity of their assets and sort of gauge if they're on track for their assets to last their lifetime or if they're, right, are they overdrawing? Are they under withdrawing? Are they on a good track? So I was just talking about the 4% rule and giving people some guidelines regarding um, gauging where they are in terms of their rate of spend or their rate of draw from the portfolio. So um, again, I do think like in your 60s, something around that 4% range is very appropriate. So in other words, if someone is 65 and they're drawing out 4% of the value of their, of their portfolio annually and nothing is substa- you know, substantially, uh, nothing substantial um, anticipated that will change that, then that's pretty comfortable. I'm not losing sleep at night. They, you know, he or she shouldn't either. Um, but if someone's 65 and they're drawn out 8%, whole different discussion. I'm starting to get really nervous impressing that upon him or her, right? Things need to change. This is, this is not a good track. On the flip side of that is someone who's 65, for example, retired, drawing out a percent or 2% of the value of their portfolio then that's a whole nother discussion about that's a pretty low right now, comfortable draw, right? And again, if nothing substantial is anticipated that would change that, 
that's like a, 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 you know, that conversation can evolve into you could afford to take more should you want or need. And sometimes people um, need need that for different reasons or sometimes people want to, um, oh gosh, we could go on so many tangents about what they might want or need it for, right? Potential healthcare related stuff in the future or if they haven't planned for long-term care, you know, saving assets for that or um, do they want to travel more? Of course, it's still like super hard for people to even think about traveling and that's generally a huge part of someone's discretionary spending. Um, or, right, then then the, we're leading to the topic of today's show, that conversation can evolve into... Um, what about what about gifting? You're probably never going to spend all this money. Do you, how many kids do you right? Do you want to start gifting it in advance of your death to your kids, since it l- looks like they're on track to inherit, you know, a substantial amount anyway? Um, so, hence the topic of today's show. Um, so, coming back to withdrawal rates for a minute, I just wanted to give people some guidelines based on ages, and these are very broad, and of course, it all depends. And I want to talk through like. Some of the some of the things that would some of the factors that would change this and and uh, shoot a hole right through this. Um, so in your 60s, I'm pretty comfortable four percent something in that range, four percent or less. Someone in their 70s, you know, early to mid to late 70s, it, I guess something in the five to six percent or less range. I generally think is comfortable if you're upwards of that 6% rate of draw, hopefully you're in your late 70s, right? If you're in your early 70s and you're upwards of a 6% draw, that's probably making me pretty nervous. Um, In your 80s, 7 or 8% can be quite comfortable. Maybe even something higher depends on on life expectancy. Of course, course someone in their 80s can live to be 105. So so if you're an 8% draw, and you're going to live another 25 years, 20 or 25 years. That's a high rate of that's a high rate of draw, and likely not sustainable for that period of time. But I just wanted to give people some some general, very general guidelines to kind of figure out. All right, where am I? Is this comfortable? Is it uncomfortable? So again, just taking the gross before tax withholding amount that you're drawing from the portfolio annually, and if you're drawing regularly, like like every month. Of course, you know, what's the gross monthly? Multiply by 12. But you also have to factor in if you took any like ad hoc, right? Withdrawals from anywhere. Did you take 5,000 because you needed this? Did you take 10 grand because you needed that? Of course, you have to add that stuff in. So what's the overall amount that you took in a 12-month period of time? Calendar 2021, perfect time of year to, you know, look back at that and divide it into the current value of your portfolio, which might be a touch less than it was a week or two ago, but, but figure out your current rate of draw and see where you are. If you're in your 70s, is it five or 6% or less? If you're in your 80s, is it seven or 8% or less? You know, th- th- these are pretty general. Are you comfortable with those numbers I just tossed out there, Kirk? You use similar? Uh, uh, yeah, yes. Um, you know, one of the comments I was gonna make is that, you know, when you're, you know, younger, you know, you know, and, and, and in these scenarios, that would mean like 60s, I suppose, you know, early 60s, that would, that's relatively young to be retiring. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the issues is, you know, longevity, right? And, and one of the issues that can compound that is, is inflation, uh, which has been one of the things that's been in the news a lot lately, you know, inflation has been, uh, has been high, you know, so far this year, I think the, uh, you know, so like the the CPI, you know, the consumer price index, you know, that they use to kind of track inflation. Uh, I think year to date, the last time I looked, year to date, twenty twenty one, it was like it was like five or six percent. Six point two percent is the last number I saw. Six point two percent year to date. Yeah, so very high. Um, mm-hmm. You know, relative to to history. Um, you know, we have those charts that we show that we show clients about you know historical figures, and you know, long term inflation is somewhere in like the. Two percent range, you know, plus or minus, um, you know, depending on how far back you go. Um, you know, a lot of times we use, you know, three percent. You know, when we run a plan for somebody, just to be conservative, we think that that's a fairly conservative number to use going forward. And you know, if you're, you know, if you're in your sixties and you compact, you know, and if you're in, um, if your expenses are growing by, you know, three percent per year, compounding that adds up, right? If you live till, you know, 90 or, or whatever it is. Um, and so, and that's one of the factors that's, you know, has to get baked into that, that 4% rule. Yeah. Um, and so I, I know like recently, 
um, I forget, you know, just somewhere, you know, I was on um, Yahoo Finance or whatever it was, and something popped up about, oh, okay, yep. And, you know, something was popping out. It's like, oh, the 4% rule is doomed. I you know. know. Yeah, I was talking like about that. that. Yeah. And I think yeah. it's because, you know, because because of inflation, I think is, you know, because inflation was high. Yeah. They're saying, oh, yeah. you know, so the 4% rule is busted. You know, it, it won't work anymore. <laughs> and, you know, so it's all just kind of, you know, sensationalist and, you know, stuff. And, you know, so I would say, you know, if you read something like that and you're worried, you know, you just need to, you know, you just need to run the numbers again. And, you know, you know and it's, it's, you know, yeah, so it's, it's just a general rule of thumb. Um, but in most cases, yeah, it's, it, it can be comfortable. Yeah. And it looks like, well, we'll talk about this after the break. I couldn't remember the name of the guy who developed the 4% rule, but we'll talk about that after the break. We're just uh, taking a quick break. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined by my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed. And don't leave us. We're talking about thanks and giving this morning. Be right back. This is Alyssa McNamara-Reed with McNamara Financial in Marshfield. Here's what people want to know about me. Are you a fiduciary? Are you independent? And thus are your recommendations for me in my best interest? Are your costs reasonable? Can you help me with my money and making a plan for my future? Fortunately, the answer to all of those questions is yes. Call my office to find out more. 781-834-2010. And we're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. I'm joined this morning electronically by my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed. Thank God for like... Zoom just being so normal these days. Work-life balance is so much easier. Like, you know, one of us yeah. can be home with the kids and uh, one of us can be here at the studio. And if I hadn't said anything, people might not have noticed, but... <laughs> well, yeah, can you, so can you hear any external noise? Yes, uh, yes. I was actually on a Zoom... Um, good morning. I was actually on a Zoom this week and I was working in our basement office there and uh, my client was like, do you have birds? <laughs> I said, no, we don't have birds, but we have guinea pigs and they squeak like birds. And actually when you were talking a few minutes ago, it sounded like we have birds. Yes, uh, I can, they're, yes, they're making some noise. And then above me, Mila's skating around on the roller skates. <laughs> uh, and so that's pretty loud. On the newly refinished hardwood floors. Uh, oh. Uh, <laughs> Maybe have her stay in the kitchen, please. Well, she should be leaving momentarily. So. Okay. She's already? Okay. Um, uh, so so Bill Bengen, or William Bengen, yeah. was, the, was the, the originator, the creator of that sort of... Um, that four percent, you know, philosophy, mm -hmm. and I did. I did find an article from uh, from January of, of this year. So January of twenty one, they 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 caught up with him. You know, they interviewed him. To oh, kind of talk oh, cool. Uh, you know, you know, with today's kind of environment, um, and you know, he said he basically said, you know, when he put that research together, that was back in nineteen ninety four. Okay, I couldn't remember if it was eighties or nineties. So yeah, wrote, you know, wrote that he sort of wrote that paper about yeah. that. And, you know, and after he wrote it, you know, it was kind of based on his own, you know, you know, research and thoughts and things. And then after that, it was sort of, you know, verified by other researchers that, you know, that it, that it you know, made sense. You know, it had, you know, good, you know, sound structure and things like that. Um, but of course, it was based on certain assumptions and things. Um, and so now they're saying, let's say, so then this is just part of the article. This is from a Barron's, uh, Barron's.com uh, article, January 23rd, 2021. Um, so in the article, it just says... It doesn't, it doesn't cite any sources, but it says, uh, in recent years, as interest rates have plunged, other researchers have estimated the safe withdrawal rate is now as low as 2.4%. Mm. And so they, you know, so they brought that up to, to Bill Bengen and he, you know, he disagreed. He said, he said that, you know, his research, you know, interest rates are really not part of the, you know, the calculation. Um, it was about the asset classes that he was using, you know, to determine, you know, rates of return. Uh, and he was using large cap stocks and U.S. Treasuries, mm -hmm. um, and so he said, you know, in his opinion, you know, the low interest rate environment really didn't affect um, that, uh, especially not to that extent. The only the only change that he suggested making was adding small cap stocks, which he originally did not have as part of his uh, portfolio. Uh huh. Higher um, earning asset class, yeah. Yeah. So he, he, you know, he suggested adding, you know, a, you know, a small allocation to small caps um, uh, to help, you know, help, you know, boost returns a little bit. Uh, I didn't, didn't reference how much that was per se, but, um, but he still, he still thinks the 4% rule is good. He actually said, he said it could be as much as four and a half percent actually. Um, well, 
Interest rate. It does seem to me that interest rates would be part of it because the Treasury, you know, interest rate on Treasuries have come down in the last decade or so. But even though interest rates have come down on bond positions, um, stock returns have gone up in the last decade. I mean, what's the ten-year average S and P? You know, return of the S and P is like six or seven points higher than its long-term average. So stock returns have have increased i don't i don't personally think it's the new normal but just in the last decade for example even though interest rates were super low um on on the bond components of people's portfolios stock returns were uh, uh, exceptionally high um and so more than made up for the low bond returns generally in the last decade um so But if we embark upon another decade, for example, where interest rates continue to be low and stock returns aren't extraordinary, like they've been the last three to five and in, in even 10 years, then I could see, you know, maybe the 4% rule, maybe it's just down to three and a half percent or something as a more comfortable rate. But um, I, can, I, I can understand why people um, question it. Having said that, it's not meant to be like, the perfect answer for everyone, right? It, de- it depends on the situation and the variables and, and all that stuff. And it was just meant to be a general guideline, but I, I do th- still think it rings true. Um, and, infl- you know, inflation is certainly a part of it as well, as you mentioned, but hopefully this 6% inflation that we've seen this year, hopefully is not uh, very long lasting. I mean, I, I, I certainly don't think 6% inflation is the new normal. I really hope that's not the case. I mean, the Federal Reserve has has the the power and and likely uh, well and and hopefully has would have the desire to step in and, and control inflation uh, or attempts to control inflation by raising interest rates right and and reducing um, you know raising interest you know people have higher interest rates on their mortgages and car loans and student loans and things like that then they're not going to have as much discretionary money to spend on other stuff so hopefully that would bring inflation down so so. You know, I don't think this high inflation that we're seeing is really sustainable for a very long period of time. And hopefully the Fed would do something at some point. I keep waiting for them to do it. I don't know why they haven't raised interest rates yet, but I guess they're just not seeing enough good other economic data. Um, Anyway, we digress. Um, But yeah, we are talking about, um, I wanted to do our thanks and giving show. I kind of, you know, introduced that Kirk before you jumped on and, and, but really focusing this year's show on when is the right time to gift. And I think it like in my personal uh, I, I've just, I've, I wanted to do the show because it's a good time of year to do the show, but also because I've had some conversations recently with, with several different clients in slightly different financial situations, um, that, ha- that I've had, you know, I've, I've had these discussions with about, you know, and sometimes I bring it up and sometimes they bring it up regarding, um, this idea of gifting in some capacity and sometimes they're thinking very small amounts and sometimes they're thinking very large amounts. Um, and, and some people want to give a one-time gift and some people really envision something more regular, like, you know, annual. Um, and I've just, for whatever reason, just have several of these conversations very recently. Again, I guess, you know, one of the reasons potentially being that markets have been so strong and 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 the people's withdrawal rates right now uh, lower than they've been in the past for, for some people, right? I'm talking in generalities, right? Like when markets are really strong and portfolios do really well, yes, we've had inflation. So people's withdrawals, you know, here and there have increased, but the the growth of the portfolio we've seen the last few years generally is bringing people's rates of withdrawal down and so again i don't know i don't necessarily think that the the incredible growth of u.s stocks that we've seen the last five or ten years is sustainable really long term i I would think that that would revert back down to long-term averages at some point um but i think people are feeling like right now like well well, maybe this is a good time, right? Like, you know, and I'm always talking to my clients about, you know, sell high, take profits while you have them. You're not always gonna, um, you know, your portfolio might not always be rocking and rolling the way that it's been, uh, of course, not really the last week or so, but um, just in the last several years. And so I think, you know, and and I think it's good for people to think this way in, in, in the good times. Like if this is a time when I can afford to do this and 
can feel comfortable doing this, then um, then they want to, right? Take take some profits while you have them. We might have a, this little downturn that we're seeing. It might be more longer lasting. It might it might not. You know, we, we don't know. But um, but I think that's one of the reasons that. Um, that I'm bringing it up to some clients and that and that they're bringing it up to me. And so, um, again, I really wanted to focus today's show on how do you know when you're in a position? And I think that a lot of clients in my experience, like if I think about the clients that I've brought this up to in recent years, um, it's, it's those people that have a very low rate of draw. Again, uh, if you're in your 70s, for example, if you're 75, you're retired, and if your rate of draw from the portfolio is like, two or three percent, right? I just kind of talked before the break about how a comfortable rate of draw might be something in the five or six percent range when you're in your mid to late 70s. And and again, it all depends. This is very general. Please check all this with your with your own financial advisor. But, um, you know, I, I think that's a pretty good generality. If you're 75 and your rate of draw from the portfolio is two percent and we're not really thinking that that's going to change, right? You're not anticipating anything that will really change that in the future other than of course markets um, you know then that that might bring us to the conversation of well do you know that you could afford to take more do you want to take more um, and and I think it's hard for some people to spend their money it, it's you know people if I think about the clients I work with that are in a very good financial position in retirement, those are the people generally that paid a lot of attention to their finances in their working and, and accumulating years. They, um, they didn't overspend, they were good savers, they, um, and they, and over time, have felt comforted by the growing balance in their portfolio. And the, the people that have those characteristics, right? The good savers, the people that watch their spending, um, those people that have put themselves into this great position uh, financially in retirement, where they're the ones that can afford to be gifting are the ones that are gonna have the hardest time gifting and taking more from their portfolio because it's just not in their nature. Not that I shouldn't say, I don't mean it's not that not, it's not that gifting isn't in their nature. It's that drawing from their portfolio and spending, because it's a type of spending, isn't really in their nature. Of course, there's other types of people that um, inheritances or, or you know, successful in their careers and, and accumulated assets in a different way. And they, they might have an easier time spending down. But right, don't, isn't it your experience that like the people that are in the perf, I shouldn't say perfect, but the best situations... And, and can, in, in, in my opinion anyway, e more easily afford this uh, gifting to kids ongoing, for example, or gifting uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars to help them with X, Y, and Z, right? The, the people that I can have those conversations with, like, hey, you can do this if you wanted to, those are the people that have a hard time with it because it's just not in their nature and they, and they are comforted by the balances that they see and they're comforted by the fact that their draw is low and comfortable, right? So yeah. I think, yeah, maybe it's like, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, th I think there's definitely a psychological component there. And I, and I, I think I, I think I get it. Um, I mean, it's maybe like, you know, maybe like, if, you know, if you see your, you know, your account balance is growing and it's kind of like, you know, maybe, maybe just don't want to do anything to kind of upset the apple cart, you know, it's kind of like, well, if I do something, is that going to, you know, is that going to, change something that, you know, might have a negative effect and that maybe, maybe they're worried about that. I, I don't know, but I, yeah, I know what you mean. And it's oftentimes the people that, that end up gifting, you know, we're, you know, sometimes we're worried about it as far as, you know, whether or not, you know, you know, how's that going to look long-term? Yeah. So um, th I'm glad you brought that up because that sort of segues into the next part of the conversation. So one way I think that people can determine whether they can afford to start gifting um, is, just watching those withdrawal rates. Great general way to do that. Am I, am I way under those targets? Uh, if yes, <laughs> potentially I can afford it, you know, have further conversations. But a really formal way 
to help to, to figure out if someone can afford either a one-time very large gift or ongoing gifting, right? So you can gift someone up to $15,000 per year without any gift taxes or any impact to your estate exemption later on, no taxes either way. So, you know, if some people want to sort of do that, you know, I want to gift my two kids $15,000 each every year as long as I can do it, right? So there are people that think that way. And then there are other people who want to give like a one-time very large gift, right? Can I can I give my uh, son or daughter, you know, a hundred, a hundred and fifty, two hundred thousand dollars, right, to help them buy a piece of real estate, which is just crazy unaffordable right now for for younger people. So, um, I so a really formal way to help to figure that out is to just you know alter a financial plan, right? So you know we we put together financial plans for people. M- most of the work we're doing and most of the um, uh, the, peop- the the situations that require that the most are the people that are approaching retirement, right? Like, when can I stop working? Am I saving enough? Uh, can I stop working now and still be okay? Like, so most of our work in the financial planning department, right, is like leading up to retirement. And then after retirement, I pop into plans here and there, of course, but it's just not as necessary as long as rates of draw are, are within a comfortable range. But this is an example of um, something that that al- that can alter a financial plan, alter a rate of withdrawal. This is something that we can use financial planning tools and our and our software to, to calculate. Right, like let's build in a huge. Uh, I shouldn't use the word huge, but let's build in a sizable gift to a family member and see how that impacts the long, the long term. And and the, and or let's build in some ongoing gifting. Let's just build in an extra expense of fifteen thousand dollars per year per kid and and see how long we could do that. The great thing about um, the the planning software and going through that process is that we have the ability to alter all these variables, right? Like we can run a plan at 2.5% inflation. We can run a plan at 4.5% inflation. We can, we can gift forever or we, we can model gifting forever or we can model gifting for five or 10 years. We can, you know, manipulate rates of return in a portfolio. We can, you know, do all sorts of, um, we can change all sorts of variables really quickly and see the impact of this gifting. And basically I would call that like stress testing, right? So we can, you know, the, the downside to this 4% rule is that it's a, it's a general rule, right? You can't really, unless you're William Bengen, right? You're not going in and manipulating variables, right? He did all that stuff when he, when he, um, developed, uh, wrote that paper, but um, the great thing about the planning software is that we can really help clients determine affordability of gifting in a very detailed way. It's not perfect, right? Because we don't know um, what inflation will be or what rates of return on portfolios will be or, um, you know, we don't know what is in their future in terms of other, you know, stresses to their life, whether it's health related or long-term care related, you know, other financial stresses in their life or premature death, things like that. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I mean, if, if this is something that someone is thinking of, just, you know, sit down with your advisor and go through a planning session. I'm having some conversations right now with some clients that are giving some serious thought to this. And the next step is going to be, you know, let, let's sit down and let's really do some number crunching and let's do some stress testing and, you know, play around with those different variables and, and, and really see, um, I think what I would be looking for there is, you know, how many variables do we have to change or what sort of variables would have to change in order for this not to work out financially, right? Or how many years can we gift before we're, before we're starting to get nervous about portfolio longevity, right? So, um, and then of course, you know, client can um, proceed in any way that he or she wants, but it's up to us to say, you know, these are some things that could affect affordability of that. And so going through that planning process is um, just like a really, really good way to help answer that question. Um, yeah, that's yeah. Take, taking a big lump sum of money, yeah, that's that could be uh, could be a significant change to somebody's plan. And I, and I and you said it. I mean, I mean, yeah. The real the one of the biggest impacts is okay. Well, if you take you know a hundred thousand dollars out of your portfolio, so now your now your portfolio is this size, and and so now yeah, the the rate of withdrawal is a different percentage, and and is that going to be okay? And 
and obviously, you know, we don't know the future, but we can, you know, we can lean on the software to make to make a pretty good guess about what that, you know, what that looks like or how that could change, um, you know, your uh, your your projected outcome. Um, you know, another thing, you know, to look at, and maybe maybe this is part of your future uh, topics. I'm not sure, but um, you know, is you know, if somebody needs like uh, long-term health, you know, care or something like that, and you know, are they going to be able to afford it? You know, by giving away, you know, a big chunk yeah. of money. Yeah. Um, and also, it comes down to, you know, people's people's uh, goals and priorities change as they get older. And you know, when they're younger, they just want to make sure they have a nice, you know, safe, comfortable retirement. But as they get older, yeah, then maybe they want to say, yeah, I want to give some money away now while I can see the, you know, the kids or the grandkids enjoy it. Um, but other other people are yeah. more focused on, you know, I don't want to be a burden, and I want to make sure I've got enough money to take right. care of me right. uh, in case I need help. And and so, you know, we can show people what you know what that looks like both ways. Um, and then obviously they make the decision, as you said, about what they want to do based on their current you know current priorities. Yeah, I was trying to. I was thinking about all the different like all the different variables that can affect negatively affect. Um, a financial, your financial future, right? Your financial situation, your rate of withdrawal from the portfolio, right? So um, I was, we were, when we were talking in generalities about comfortable rates of draw from the portfolio and sort of, you know, people gauging where they are and am I way under and is this something I can afford or am I over and goodness, no, we should, you know, we're overspending. Like <clears throat> I was trying to think about all the different variables that can change the financial situation. So yeah, so the, so healthcare related stuff, um, you know, even if someone has health insurance, uh, healthcare expenses can be sizable. Dental expenses, right, can be sizable. In general, people don't have ex ins good insur insurance or any sort of good insurance for that. Um, Long-term care needs. Yeah, these are things that can be a huge stress to your financial situation because they're potentially large expenses in the future. There are ways to plan for some of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, other things like um, a real estate move, for example. So if someone is, um, let's say they're in a good situation now, their rate of draw from the portfolio is very comfortable now, but let's say they're in a, um, a home that's, uh, large and, and worth a lot of money and they want to make a real estate move and it would, you know, they're either taking money off the table or if they still have debt on the property, they're eliminating debt. So like a, a real estate move can go either way, but, but it can be a swing. It, it just can be a substantial swing in one direction or the other. And that's one of the reasons that actually putting together a financial, like, putting together a financial plan to determine if I can afford to be gifting is really the best way to go. Because like if someone is um, in a good position now, but might even be in a better position later after a real estate move, you know, that's a, that's a change for the better. But there are some people that are um, for whatever reason want, you know, are maybe moving to a piece of real estate that's more expensive or they're buying a second piece of real estate or, you know, they're increasing debt or they're taking more from the portfolio in a real estate move later than, than that's a swing in the other direction, right? And that should certainly be factored in. Um, so we talked about, you know, rates of return in a portfolio can be a variable. Um, inflation can be a huge variable. Um, but also in like inheritances, right? So if you're not necessarily in a great position now or you're, you're maybe your rate of draw is comfortable, but it's not so comfortable that you're considering starting to gift, give your money away, um, an inheritance for you can be a huge variable in the future. Um, some people are surprised by those things or some people kind of know it's coming because they're involved in mom and dad's finances and, and, and that's something that maybe can be planned for. You always want to be very conservative when you're planning to receive an inheritance, in my opinion, because sometimes they don't, they're not as large as people think they will be. Um, but, um, and, and also, um, I, was, I was thinking like, like changes in spending, right? So, and I guess what I meant by that is like discretionary spending. So people that, you know, again, nobody's really traveling a lot right now. Travel is still kind of hard right now, but people that travel or want to travel now while they're younger and healthy and then anticipate that 
falling by the wayside as they get older, right? Even if your rate of draw is not very low now, maybe it'll be very low later after you're done with, you know, with your traveling years. And, and so, the, the, I, I don't know, those are just examples of things that can, that we can factor in when we put together a plan and help people really determine if this is the right time to gift, if that's something that they can um, be seriously considering. Um, so I guess I wanted to like, again, knowing like how you're, if you're in a good position to gift, like, you know, really it comes down to, um, I, I do want to get into specifics regarding types of assets that people have, but really once you get to the point, if, and when you get to a point where you really feel like you have significantly more assets than you, well, I guess, let me back up a second. If someone's going to consider gifting, I think they should be at a point in their life where they feel like they have, I would use the word significantly more assets than they think that they will spend, right? Because we do want to build in some buffers, right? If we're doing some calculations and you feel like you have enough money, um, you, you'll likely outlive your money. I want there to be a big enough buffer in there that if markets are worse than we think they'll be, if inflation is higher than we think it will be, if expenses are higher than we think it will be, like I, I, I want to have enough of a buffer in there that um, that you're not going that that you're not going to negatively impact yourself, right? You should, in my opinion, only be gifting at least ongoing or gifting large amounts if we feel like there are significantly more assets then then you'll spend right that building I, I guess I tend to um, err on the side of being a little bit conservative with these discussions and um, I wouldn't want someone to pursue gifting unless there was a very comfortable buffer there um, and so um, but then I wanted to talk a little bit about the types of assets that people have because I think the conversation changes um, the conversation is easier with certain types of assets and more difficult with other types of assets. And so I want to get into specifics after the break. I know we have to take a break here in a couple minutes. Um, but if we think about um, the types of assets that people would have, I would say I would put cash as one asset class, you know, money in the bank, uh, CD. I guess there's really not much going on in the world of CDs, right, and money markets right now. But cash, CDs, savings accounts, money markets, I'd, I'd make that one asset class. Um, retirement accounts, I'm going to call, uh, maybe not an asset class, but asset type. Retirement accounts is another asset type. Uh, Non-retirement accounts or what we call non-qualified or taxable accounts would be another type. That's like an individual account, a joint account, a trust account. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna make real estate a separate type of asset, and I would maybe even break real estate up into couple categories like primary residence, secondary residence. So I want to get into some specifics regarding how the conversation changes based on the types of assets that people have. Again, when they're trying to determine affordability and how comfortable they can feel gifting. So let's do that after the break. But just um, if you're just tuning in, um, Kirk and I this morning are talking about uh, this is our thanks and giving show better late than never. I know Thanksgiving has passed, um, but we wanted to talk about this idea of people gifting to their children or grandchildren while they're living and really focusing on how people can think about, can I afford to do this? Is this a good time? How do I know when it's the right time to start gifting? So we're going to get into some more specifics after the break. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Don't turn the dial, everybody. This is one of my favorite shows of the year. We're going to get into some more specifics right after the break. Be right back. Mm -hmm. 